0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So, in case we haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm also an intern here at Awaken. Micah is preaching at a at his friend Steve Ween's church. He he likes to plug Steve a lot. Um, the the uh, likes to mention his name because uh, they're great friends, and so. They're doing a little swap there, and so uh, I have the pleasure of continuing our series today. We've called this series Lost in Translation. We don't have a fancy video for it, but it's, it's been something that's been really life-giving both to me and we've, re- we've received a lot of really good feedback for it, uh, because essentially what we're doing is uh, we're doing all the things you're not really supposed to preach about all at one time. I've told a lot of my seminary friends, I'm a seminary student at Bethel, and I've told a lot of my friends about this series, and there's kind of a collective look at me of like, they look at me like, good for you guys, because this is, these are the things that are tough. And the reason they're tough is because they often serve as stumbling blocks for people's faith. They're they're these things that have been kind of uh, used, maybe taken out of context uh, to tear other people down or build somebody else up over others. And so, uh We've already done things. Jenna started off the series uh, talking about women's roles in churches. Mike has talked about predestination, election, the rapture. He'll do again, do so again next week, and so just really light topics, you know. But um, for me and for a lot of people I know, um, this has really kind of helped to to articulate just who Awaken is. Uh, we're, we're about asking those tough questions. You're allowed to ask those things while you're here, uh, and it's all about reclaiming God's love in these tough places and uh, how much it it couldn't be more relevant uh, with this last week that we've had. Now, um, it's definitely true today, so I invite you to stand, uh, if you're willing and able, uh, to read the scripture for today. Is Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. So, uh, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to gather here today to study your word I pray, God, that we would have open hearts to receive you, God, and to hear your word in a new way, to receive your spirit, God, to feel your kindness in this world, and that the world may know its kindness through our hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Feel free to have a seat. So we've done a lot of, some of these issues that we've tackled are kind of divisive. I hope the stool doesn't break. Um, The... A lot of issues we've done are, have been kind of divisive. Um, they're Awakens is filled with people from a lot of different kind of faith backgrounds. There, Not everybody agrees on all these little uh, tiny pieces of theology. Uh, for example, Micah, uh, before this, worked at a Baptist church. I myself grew up in a mainline uh, Protestant and an ELCA uh, background, and so just very, very different types of things, but you don't have to believe all the same things here at Awaken because... The thing is is that we're trying to see through some of these tough things culturally, um, historically, and, and try to see what that might mean for us here to see God's love amidst these tough things. And so um, it might not be completely clear maybe. This is one of those things that isn't necessarily debated but more skipped. People don't really talk about this story because uh, a couple couple things that happen here. Jesus says that he's only for the lost sheep of Israel and then this woman who comes to ask Jesus for help, he essentially calls her a name. He's mean. And so the biggest problem for me and for many in this passage is that um, this Jesus isn't the Jesus that we're familiar with. He seems exclusive. He seems mean. As with Micah and Jenna in this series, I'm here to uh, offer a different reading, a different, uh, excuse me, a different perspective. Um, you see, uh, Micah likes to say a lot of times, if your interpretation of a passage doesn't sound like what we know to be true about the heart of Jesus, then maybe we need to take a different look at it. But the question this morning is, what do we do when Jesus doesn't sound like himself? And uh, Micah picked these passages, and he looks at me and says, Chris, you want to do this one? I'm going to be gone. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. no. I think this is actually, uh, I'm going to argue, like Michael likes to say, the exact opposite is true. Jesus is not exclusive, and Jesus is not mean. So to get into this, uh, I'm going to explain something that is review for a lot of people, but I never want to assume uh, that that people know about the Bible. Um, I know we have a lot of people new to faith. I'm not trying to talk down to anyone. Please hear my heart in this. I just want to make sure that it's understood. So... What we read today was in the book of Matthew. Matthew is part of a group of books called the Gospels. They're the first four books in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. This is the part of the Bible that talks about Jesus. These first four books are, they all tell this narrative, this story of this person, Jesus. Now, because they're all talking about the same person, a lot of times there are stories that are retold. Uh, They're all from different authors, from seemingly different perspectives, and seem to really kind of be... Uh, articulating different points, but because it's one person that they're talking about involving the same cast of characters, they're repeated. And so that's definitely true today. Uh, This story is also in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, um, and it's almost worded exactly the same, but there are a couple of things that I think that are helpful here. In some translations, uh, Jesus says in the book of Mark, he says, in my, uh, when, he, when he's talking about uh, let the children of Israel eat first, he says, let my own family, the children of Israel, eat first. Now, this just highlights this family metaphor that's going on that's already present in Matthew, but I think it's important to talk about because we need to understand family in the metaphor of the people of Israel that they use for themselves in order to really understand them. Because you see, um, in the story that we just read, the woman calls out to Jesus. She says, son of David. That's acknowledging that she knows, one, he actually is, we, we believe that he's perhaps in the actual bloodline of David. But also, it's hearkening back to the fact that um, he's a son of David. He is Jewish. He's from the nation of Israel. These people, because of how prevalent Christianity is in our our culture today and because of how prevalent uh, or how much we understand now about the Jewish people as the roots of our faith, it sometimes has overshadowed the fact that the people of Israel were not a major people group amongst the powers of the world. They were actually relatively small. And so what happens is these people... um, have these books that they had. So I talked about the New Testament and the Gospels. The first half of the Bible is all the Old Testament, and what it's doing is following a specific small group of people from their ideas of how the world started to uh, right before Jesus was born. Now, they preserved their own culture, and specifically around this culture were these rules that they have. Uh, they They viewed that these rules were from God, and so this was incredibly important to how they understood uh, who is in the family. If you're in the family, the people of Israel, because it was both culturally, uh, racially, it was actually a race of people if you were from Israel, and then also it was their religion. It had all to do with who they were. And so you see, when they're talking, when Jesus is talking about the family, people know exactly what he's talking about. His, his, descend, his disciples are... Jewish, and so they are leaning into this metaphor that he's been using. The other thing that Mark says besides this family thing that I noted before was that he he notes, the author of Mark um, notes that this woman was born in uh, Syria of Phoenicia. Often you hear this story referred to as the Syrophoenician woman. That's important to note because that means that this woman was not Jewish, this woman was Canaanite, as Matthew said, and the Canaanite people had a long historical battle with Jewish the nation of Israel and the Jewish folks. Uh, they were much stronger militarily often. They'd done a lot to keep Israel out of the Holy Land. And so you can understand now, when we understand this context, that this woman who comes to meet Jesus it says he's on the road to these places, so it's not even in a city. She's come out to find this person. She approaches him, and what these disciples see is not somebody who needs their help. What they see is a person who is not only not in the family, but somebody who's oppressed them. She's not in the culture. She's not of their race. She doesn't follow their rules. She's, she's not in the family, and if you're all familiar at all with, this, with the Jesus narrative, you know what's coming. Uh, there's kind of a, a pattern in a lot of stories where Jesus heals people. Um, the, there's a woman or a man or some, a group of people that come to Jesus, express their need. Uh, the disciples say something ignorant. <laughs> Jesus says something and then heals them and then it's great. And it's all kind of set up this way. So if we really, if we really look at this, it says, so the woman approaches Jesus. Uh, she says, we need help. Check. The disciples say, Jesus, she's bothering us. Check. <laughs> and then Jesus basically says, I'm not here for you. She pleads with him. She brings him She's laying out her heart in front of him and he calls her a name. So I'm like, I, I read, the, when people read this, they're like, wait, 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 wait. And this is the kind of thing that like, drives seminary students insane because what do you do with that? Because what was supposed to happen was Jesus was supposed to blow people's mind with a question, uh, a semi-ambiguous statement that people will debate for thousands of years. <laughs> he was supposed to heal the woman and then walk away like a boss. That's what was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen. Because the problem here is Jesus sounds a lot like the disciples, and we know that they're morons. So, <laughs> what, so, what, so what do we do with that? So today I'd like to say that historically his first statement, for all intents and purposes, is not incorrect, as far as they know. Because the, to the disciples he isn't wrong, he isn't there for anybody else. They're calling him the Messiah, but he doesn't, they don't understand Messiah like we understand Messiah. He, to them, he's there for the family, right? But if we look back at Jesus' earlier teachings, we go back, um, they're, they're one of the reasons why people will, would have come out to Jesus for his help is because people have heard about this guy. He's taught, he's healed, he's done a lot of things. And so if we look back uh, at Matthew chapter 12, uh, 46 through 50, I'll read it to you, don't worry uh, there's There's this really helpful teaching that Jesus does. He was speaking to a crowd one day, and his mothers and his brothers uh, stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, "Your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. This person's just trying to be helpful. There are so many people around Jesus that his his family is trying to get to him, and somebody's just trying to uh trying to help out and Jesus turns to him and says who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. And so uh, Jesus takes this seemingly innocent thing that this person says to him, just trying to be helpful, and he's, he's speaking again into this family metaphor. He's looking and he's saying, look, we're all family. And the people who are doing the will of my Father, that's family. Now his disciples probably heard this and thought, yeah, perfect. We're part of the team. We follow the teachings. We follow the rules. But what they, what they don't really understand then is if we go back farther, if they'd been listening, which often it doesn't seem like they are, if we go back earlier, Jesus has given a thing We have recorded the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of other different teachings and what Jesus does in those specifically is look at the teachings, the laws that are embedded in this culture and he says you think it's this but it's actually this. He's redefining what this law means. And so we can see through examples like the Sermon on the Mount that the will of the Father is not about the law but rather it's about things like loving your enemies, it's about not judging other people, it's about giving to the needy because God's will for Jesus is clearly for him about the heart. So, when, the woman says, when he says to the woman that he's only for Israel, he's speaking in a language of the family, right? It sounds like the disciples, like I said before. He sounds like his disciples because he's speaking in a language of are understanding. He's responding to their request for him to send this woman away The metaphor he uses, the family at the table, it allows him to both speak into the family metaphor that the Jewish listeners are used to, and he's setting up this woman to tear it all down. Because you see, the disciples are really confident at this point, they're so confident in their place, in their hierarchy that they've created. They're proud because they have a seat at the table of Israel. When he talks about the family at the table, they know that they're one of the people. They want the whole meal. What this woman, this outsider, essentially says, she says, doesn't, just, doesn't the dog get the crumbs? Basically, she says, I don't need the whole meal that they're trying to claim for themselves. All I need is the crumbs. Well, While the, disciple well, the disciples want all of Jesus only to themselves, She says, all I need essentially is a little bit of you. She says, she's essentially telling Jesus, while the disciples are saying, you're only for us, you're only all for us, she's basically telling Jesus, a little bit of you is all I'll ever need. Because you see, her heart, what she's done by expressing this, what he's set her up to do, what he's allowed her to speak, both to him but mostly for his disciples, she's put herself right in the middle of the family. She's not, she's not a dog in this family, but she's, she's established herself then as the cherished daughter of God because her heart has done the will of the Father. And it's only then that Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And so, applicationally speaking, all well, that's really nice, right? It sounds good, but... People misuse this verse a lot. They use it to talk about boldness and, and tactlessly trying to coerce someone to believe their own specific doctrine. Uh, a lot of times this, uh, this is used alongside with, Jesus flipped the tables, so we need to be unabashed, and we need to, I mean, they just need to hear it, so we're going to run right over them with it. But in this, in this case, Jesus isn't being bold about his faith. He's not unabashedly sharing the truth. Because he's not being mean, what he's allowing to do is, what he's allowing this woman to do is to speak her kindness. And so I invite you to consider this morning: what does it mean to worship a kind God? There's a, there's a uh, there's a song in our that's that's an old song. It's a song called "Nice Guys Finish Last," and I think that we really believe that. A lot of times, speaking as someone who who would be maybe traditionally categorized as a nice guy, uh, sometimes that's not seen as a leading quality. I'm going to tell you a story about a friend that I had. I used to work uh, at a restaurant down in Des Moines. Um, It was a really nice restaurant, and there was a back waiter, uh, which essentially he wasn't, he didn't take orders. He just ran food, cleaned tables, he did all the dirty work. Now, this gentleman's name was Kareem, and he was a—he uh, was such a sweet man. If you needed something done and something done well, you went to Kareem, not only because he did good work, but because what he did was he didn't complain. He didn't hold it against you that you asked him for help. He would do it if he had the time, he, it, and he did it cheerfully with a smile on his face. Now, in our nice guys finish last type of mentality, what happened was all of a sudden, if somebody needed something, only they would only go to him to try to get him to do it, because other people would complain. Just ask Kareem, he's going to do it. And eventually the managers learned just to ask Kareem for things, because they didn't want to deal with the complaints of anybody else. So one day, uh, the managers, it was something absurd, like they needed him to come in and work a double like on a holiday or something. And they they came in and they asked, and they only asked him because they knew he would supposedly, cheerfully do it. And he said to him, Green, I need you to do this. And it was, he looks at, I, I'll never forget, he looks at my manager and he said, I'll do it. But then he looks at her, eyes, he kind of looked down, he was very tall. He, he looked at her and he said, do not mistake my kindness for weakness because I will not be disrespected. You better believe they didn't ask him to do it again. <laughs> I'll repeat that. He He looked at her and said, do not mistake my kindness for weakness because I will not be disrespected. He did things cheerfully. He did it with a smile on his face. But that doesn't mean he was going to be walked all over. I'll invite the band back up. And as I do that, I just want to say that the disciples thought that they were getting boldness. They thought they were getting this conquering, unapologetic Messiah that was going to use violence and, and... militarily take over the world and put them back at the top. Instead, they got a healing, dying, loving kindness. They thought that God looked like force. They thought that God looked like a show of strength. They thought God looked like violence to put them over other people. But in so many circumstances that we've seen, especially this week, people still think that of God. They think that their God requires violence. They think that their God requires force to put them over other people. But in so many circumstances that we've seen in our country and in France, the stories that are remembered, that are coming out, are of people's hope. They're of people's kindness. The story of the Boston bombings are not about what the story that everyone remembers is that there were more people running towards the sound of the blast than there were running away from it. Because you see, it's the people's response of love that's the true strength. Not the act of, I put it in quotes, power. Because God was not this weekend in the act of cowardly violence. He was in the people who were willing to give skin and blood to help other people. Just as the disciples who thought they were going to receive this military might, uh, they encou- instead of this mighty military power, they encountered a bleeding, dying man on an execution stake. They thought they would receive freedom through strength, but instead encountered freedom through supposed weakness. They encountered freedom and strength through sacrifice, and they encountered God and perhaps the most profound act of kindness in history, which is the sacrificing of the self. The disciples, and it's our invitation now, to receive a kindness that cannot and will not be disrespected. We're going to go into a, a time of silence. Uh, we've done this in the past few weeks, if you're new to this uh, it's, it's exactly as it sounds. We're just going to give a moment to contemplate either what I've said or I'll invite you to think of a couple of questions. You can enter a time of prayer. Questions, how would you be different if you knew God's strength is in this kindness, not in a show of force? Where have you tried to conquer instead of surrender? Please pray with me. Father God, help us to see the strength in your kindness. Help us to lead in this world with your love. Help us to surrender to you in ways that we never have before. Be with those who are suffering. And I pray, Lord, that people would encounter your kindness through the love of others. God, in a time where people blame you in so many different ways God and the people that misuse your name God I pray that they would know you for your love your sacrifice and your kindness Amen If you'd like somebody to pray for you uh, we have members of the prayer team over here to my right your left uh, that would love the opportunity to pray for you if it's something specific if it's something that's if it's about France or any of the other things that have happened recently in, in the world or in your own life, they would be more than willing to do that. So receive this benediction today. May we see God not as power, as a conquering violent power, but as sacrificial loving kindness. May our eyes be open to see that kindness in the world, May our hands be ready to give God's kindness to the world and may our hearts be ready to receive it. Grace and peace. To find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter the Awaken Community. See you next time.